And Lord, we are just so thankful that despite the chaos around us in this world, despite the changes over and over again in our lives, that you never change, that you are steadfast, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, that your love for us never changes, and you're completely reliable. Lord, would you bring peace into people's lives this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, and welcome. Welcome to Door of Hope, and and welcome to uh, week four of this series. Now, that might seem a little bit strange to you because we've had a bit of a break. And uh, we're, we're restarting this series today called A Doubter's Guide to the Bible. And um, believe it or not, it was seven weeks ago that we last um, talked about this uh, series. And seven weeks ago, that a lot can happen in seven weeks, can't it? Uh, March the 1st, 2020 was when we last um, brought this series to us. And um, man, so much has happened in our world, in our country, in our church, and probably even in your homes, in your houses, in your families in the last seven weeks. Um, and I don't know, if you're anything like me, seven weeks ago feels like seven years ago, and um, I can barely remember what happened three weeks ago, let alone seven weeks ago. So what I thought we'd do before jumping into week four or chapter four of this series is I thought we'd spend just a few minutes recapping and uh, refreshing our memories, all getting on the same page with where we're up to in this series so that, um, uh, yeah, we can all start afresh. Is that all right? Uh, it'll also help you if you've joined us along the way in the last seven weeks. So um, what basically what this series is, is uh, based on the 10-chapter book by doc, Dr. John Dixon called A Doubter's Guide to the Bible. And uh, in this series, we're, we're going through the Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. And um, we're going in such a way that we're, that we're looking at all the brow, broad brush strokes, broad brush strokes of all the themes and stories of the Bible that uh, we can learn from. We can see God's um, interaction with His creation, His humanity through the books of the Bible and the stories of the Bible. And so we're looking at each of these and, and we're doing it in a way that we can all understand and, and gets a really good overview of the entire Bible. But you know what? This series is actually also designed for you if, if you're a doubter. And uh, we've said all along the way that doubters are welcome here at Door of Hope. And in fact, many of us, whether, whether we're just exploring spiritual things or whether we've been a Christian for a long, long time, many of us have doubts and have had doubts of varying sizes, of varying topics and things in our lives about, about Christianity, about the Bible, about God. And if you're a doubter here this morning, then you are welcome. And uh, hopefully the idea of this series is to give you an idea that, that the Bible actually has many answers to the doubts that we have. So way back in week one, we began with Genesis chapter one, the very start of the Bible, where God creates the world. And from right from the very start, we learned a phrase that, that's kind of the theme for the rest of the series and kind of sets up the rest of the series and we revisit each and every week. And I wonder if you can remember the phrase. If you can, why don't you read along with me at home? But basically, a good God created a good world in which He placed good people to do good work 
so that they could live the good life. Everything was created good. Socially, everything was good. Our relationships with one another were good. Physically, everything was good. Our bodies were healthy. The the environment around us was good. Everything was good. Spiritually, things were good. Our relationship with our Creator God was good. Everything was good because we were created in God's image. And God is goodness Himself. And we were created in His image. Everything was created good. And then in week two, we learn that for Adam and Eve, things weren't good enough. They weren't content in being just made in the image of a good God. They wanted to be God. And they wanted to make the decision for themselves what was good and what wasn't good. But the problem was they weren't actually God. Only God is God. And so they couldn't do that properly. And so everything went bad all of a sudden. Socially, things went bad. Our relationships with one another went bad and got harder. Physically, things went bad. We could start to feel pain and illness and sickness and our bodies could die eventually. And, and, and spiritually, of course, things went bad. The relationship that we had with our created God was cut off. And you know, it's, it's quite easy, isn't it, to separate ourselves from the story of Adam and Eve because it was so long ago, it was somewhere else, and it happened so long ago. But in reality, we need to realize that Adam and Eve's story is actually our story too. You know, Paul writes in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I are no different to Adam and Eve. There are times in our lives that we take on that decision for ourselves, what is good and what isn't good. And that decision, the moment we make that decision, is called sin. And this sin is, is the dark thread that winds itself throughout humanity, from Adam and Eve right through to you and I today. And the new reality that we find ourselves in is that we're living in two kind of different places that we are still created in the image of God, that we still have goodness in our DNA, and we are fundamentally glorious. But now, we are fundamentally wretched as well. And it's a quote from chapter 2 of the book. John Dixon says that we are both fundamentally glorious and fundamentally wretched at the same time. And the only way really to to work through this or get around this is for God to graciously intervene. And intervene he does because in week three we learned that he calls out to this man, Abram. And out of seemingly out of nowhere, he calls out to Abram and invites Abram into have a covenant with God, an agreement with God that will allow God to build a new nation through Abram's descendants. And he gives Abram a new name, Abraham, and, and um, his descendants become the new people of God, designed to reflect once again God's goodness to the world that they're a part of. And that's where we find ourselves this week, in chapter 4, week 4 of this series, where 
Well, we're going to fast forward a few years from Abraham. In fact, we're fast forwarding about 500 years from Abraham. And the nation of Israel is actually a big nation now. It's like, you know, millions of people, and, but they're enslaved by the Egyptian people. In terrible conditions, they're treated terribly poorly, and um, they're crying out to their God. This, this God who they're taught by their grandparents and their great-grandparents about this God of the Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who supposedly has a plan for their nation and who loves their nation, has a purpose and a land promised to them. And, but they find themselves in a torturous, terrible situation, enslaved by the Egyptians. And they're crying out to this God. And God hears them. And God intervenes. Enter Moses. Moses. Moses is one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Moses is fantastic. And you can read all about Moses in the book of Exodus. But Moses is the chosen person to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt and towards the land promised all those years ago to Abraham. And of course, he doesn't do it alone. God provides some incredible miracles to get his people out of Egypt. But Moses is the chosen leader to lead them out. And he does so, and, and on their, along their journey towards the promised land, God uses Moses to deliver his people a brand new set of laws, a kind of a constitution, if you like, for this new nation. And this is designed to help the Israelites understand what it looks like to live as people of God. What does it look like? What do we need to do? How do we need to behave in order to reflect God's goodness again to the rest of the world? And here we find our story today of the Ten Commandments. And um, we're going to look at this story and we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it and learn a few things from this story. Now, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, but before he does, before he does, he actually reminds his people that they are saved already. And this is the first thing that I think we can learn from this chapter today, is that in God's kingdom, grace precedes obedience. Grace precedes obedience. You see, before God delivers the law to his people through Moses, God reminds them that, that he brought them out of slavery, that he saved them from Egypt. And we're going to see that as we read. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 to 6. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. This is in order to get the Ten Commandments. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And just moments later, literally just before he tells Moses the Ten Commandments, God also says this. He says, 
I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. In other words, God's law wasn't there as a pathway to be rescued. God's law was there as a response to a people who are already rescued. To put it slightly differently, God didn't say, obey me and then I will save you. He said, I have saved you. Now this is the appropriate way to respond to your salvation. And this story of Moses and the Ten Commandments isn't actually the only time in the Bible that God does this. If we think back to the story of Abram um, seven weeks ago, um, he does it there as well. Because Abram, remember, was just this guy, just this random guy who was a pagan. He didn't even believe in God. He didn't know who God was. He'd never spoken to God or anything like that. And yet God graciously reveals himself to Abram. Abram did nothing to deserve that. That is out of God's grace that he revealed himself to Abram. Grace first, and then Abram obeys. And in faith, he obeys God and then is rewarded. Obedience comes after God's grace. And the same thing happens with Moses, doesn't it? God has saved his people out of slavery in Egypt and then he presents to his people the new set of laws. And then if we look further forward in the Bible, we can see this happening in the New Testament with Jesus as well. You know, Paul writes this in Romans. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. God sent his son to die for us. Grace precedes obedience. Grace first, then obedience. God is so full of grace that he is willing to save us before we are expected to obey him. And you know what? We read further in the Old Testament laws um, as they outwork themselves throughout the um, following books after the Ten Commandments, and we can see over and over again evidence of God's mercy for His people. Because God lays out the law of His people, but He kind of anticipates that His people are going to struggle at times to keep this law. That people are going to make mistakes. That people are going to have bad days. That people are going to do the wrong thing from time to time. So in His laws, He includes opportunities for His people to make up for, to atone for, to make right their wrongs and to seek God's mercy over and over again. So God reminds his people of their salvation before he delivers them the new laws through Moses. Now, the law here begins with the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, but it kind of is then expanded upon in the books to follow in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy. Now, just like the law or constitution of any modern nation might be difficult to read, might take a long time, might be full of big words, maybe confusing ideas. Occasionally, these books can be quite challenging to read through, just like the law of any nation would be. But you know what? We, we can't discount them. 
it's really important that we value them. You know, um, God um, sent Jesus. We know that. But you know what Jesus said about this? He said that he didn't come into the world to get rid of the old law. He came into the world to fulfill the law. And you know what? I think too often Christians especially, we, we tend to separate Old Testament law from the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the New Testament. And we, we treat them differently and we treat them like two separate things and we, we sometimes even push to the side the Old Testament law, maybe because it's too hard to read, it's too hard to understand, maybe we see it as irrelevant for me or um, yeah, not, we not needing it anymore because of Jesus or something like that and we keep them very separate. But you know what? I think if it was important to Jesus then it should be important to you and I as well. If we ignore this part of the Bible, what we're doing is we're actually missing out on a large chunk of God's story. And we don't get to fully understand the depth of what Jesus did for us until we understand this part of the Bible. Now, many people, many of you would know the story of when Jesus was asked by somebody what the most important law was. Do you remember what, how he replied? Do you remember what he said? He said this. He said, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. That was what Jesus responded to when, when someone asked him, what, what's the most important of the, all the laws? Now, let's look at the Ten Commandments for a second. I wonder if you can remember off the top of your head all the Ten Commandments. Can you do that? I'm going to give you ten seconds, and you've got ten fingers, and I encourage you to see, and maybe you even use the brain trust in your living room at the moment. See if you can come up with all of the Ten Commandments off the top of your head. Are you ready? Ten seconds. Go for it. Did you get them? Did you get them? I think you probably could have. Let's go through them together and see if you got them all right, in order. All right? So, first of all, first commandment, have no other gods before me, then make no idols of anything. Then we have no speaking my name in vain. And the fourth one is keep the Sabbath day special. Keep it holy. Four commandments that teach us how to love God with all our heart and mind and soul. Now, let's look at the next six. Honor your mum and dad. <laughs> don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet other people's stuff. <laughs> That's my wording, not the Bible's. Now, what are these six commandments all about? They're about loving your neighbor as yourself, aren't they? You see, Jesus was right, believe it or not, <laughs> when he said all the commands and all the law can be summed up into two things. Love your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And you see, when we look at the Old Testament law this way, all of a sudden 
doesn't look so different from the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of Paul, and the rest of the teachings of the New Testament, does it? You know, one of the important things I think we need to pay attention to in this story of Jesus and, and, and the two commands is, is that Jesus answered with two answers, didn't he? He was asked what the most important command was, but he actually gave two answers. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I think we can be, we can love God, we can, we can love going to church, we can love singing about God and, and all that kind of thing, but if we ignore people in our lives who are hurting if we don't show love towards people in our lives who perhaps hurt us, if we don't think of anyone other than ourselves, then we have failed. And likewise, on the flip side, if, if we are champion of people, if we stand up for the little guy, if we love fighting for causes, if we love caring for people, but we don't recognize or love our Creator God, we have failed. John Dixon, in this chapter 4 that we're working through today, has a great quote on this. He says, Both the religious hypocrite and the moral atheist commit equal and opposite errors. They separate the love of God from the love of fellow humans. And according to the Old Testament law and Jesus Christ, we simply cannot do this. We tend to separate the love of God from the love of fellow humans and both the Old Testament law and Jesus say that we can't do that. We have to do both. I wonder for you today how that balances in your life. Do you really love the Lord your God with everything you have? And do you really love your neighbor as yourself? Because both are important. Now, I wonder if you've ever wondered or, or been asked by somebody else, why are the Ten Commandments all shout not? Why are they all about things we can't do? You know, many people would read, thou shalt not this, and thou shalt not that, and thou shalt not this, and come to the conclusion that God's law is all about restricting people. When in actual fact... God's law is about bringing freedom to people. G.K. Chesterton is a very smart kind of guy, and he wrote many, many years ago a, a kind of a new perspective on this. And I'll kind of paraphrase, but essentially he says that it would be easier for the Bible to list all the things that we're not permitted to do than it would be for the Bible to list all the things that we are permitted to do. And that makes total sense, doesn't it? Can you imagine for a second if the Bible was full of instructions as to the different ways we're allowed to brush our teeth <laughs> or, or the different colors of carpet that are acceptable or whether it's acceptable to have pineapple on your pizza or not or what's the um, allowed length of a handshake or <laughs> all these kinds of things. Can you imagine? It would be endless, would it not? <laughs> It's, it's so much easier for us to understand the few things that we are permitted not to do than it is to kind of go through every single little thing that we are permitted to do. And in this way, God actually demonstrates to us that He wants to bring freedom into our lives. 
You know, Jesus said that he's, he's come to bring us abundant life, not a restricted life. You know, other parts of the Bible say an expansive life. And the Old Testament law isn't there to restrict us. It's, it's prescribed in that kind of way with the thou shalt nots and all that kind of thing because it's there to demonstrate all the good things that we can do, the freedom that we actually have. Now, finally, when we look at the Old Testament law, you and I have a big advantage over the people that it was originally delivered to. You know why? Because we have a set of glasses on, and these glasses are called Easter. <laughs> and we celebrated Easter last week, but, but we put these lenses on when we read Old Testament law, and we see Old Testament law through the eyes of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And therefore, the outworkings of the Old Testament law in our lives today, in your and my life today, look very different from how it outworks and looks like in everyday life so many years ago. Now, to explain this a little bit further, um, and probably better than I could, um, I thought maybe we should get the author of this book, John Dixon, to explain it a little bit better um, with the help of the band Pink Floyd. Check this out. See, you and I, we see the Old Testament law especially through these new prisms, these new lenses that, that Jesus died on the cross for us. And so, therefore, how outworking of the law looks different in our lives now from the people that it looked like back then. Now, you and I will always have doubts, I think. Um, from time to time, we'll have varying doubts of varying degrees about varying different kinds of things. But, and particularly when it comes to Old Testament law. But I think to wrap up this morning, I think it's really important that we look at five main points from this chapter that I think will really help us. And maybe you can choose maybe just one of these that stands out for you that you'd like to mull on a little bit more. Maybe you'd like to make use of the live chat feature right now in the service, or maybe you'd like to have a direct chat with one of our service hosts or some prayer. Or maybe you'd just simply like to take it away and think it through a bit more, maybe chew on it. Maybe you'd like to read the chapter of the book, Dallas Guide to the Bible, to find out a bit more detail. But these five points, I think, will help us grasp um, the Old Testament law and, and what it means for us today and how it can be important for us today. The first one is that God gave His people the law so that they could be molded back into more of His image again. Remember, the whole purpose of the nation of Israel was to demonstrate and reflect God's goodness in the world around them. And so bringing His law to them, God intended for them to see that as a way to His instructions to how to look more like God. Secondly, grace always precedes obedience. God's grace precedes our obedience. We can be incredibly grateful. I am so grateful that God's grace comes before I'm expected to obey Him. Wow, that's so amazing. 
Thirdly, Jesus made it simple for us to remember, didn't he? I'm so thankful for that too. Love God and love other people. That's, that's all he said. Those two things is all we need to remember. Fourthly, with the law doesn't come restriction, but freedom. The law actually demonstrates to us how free we really are. And again, we can be so thankful to God for that. And finally, the outworking of the law might look different for us now depending on our culture, our context, and the time that we live in, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. I wonder today which one of these things stands out to you as something that you might take away and, and think through a bit further. Hopefully this morning we've, we've addressed some of the doubts in, in a way that might encourage you to explore them a little bit further, dig a little bit deeper, keep going, don't give up because the Bible has answers to most of our doubts that we have. And uh, next week, we're going to continue this series, um, and we're going to look at the story of Joshua, and uh, it's going to be exciting, and, and we're going to learn a whole heap more. But before we move on to one last song this morning, I wonder if you'd join me in prayer, if you feel comfortable. Why don't you join with me? Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you that your grace comes before we're expected to obey. We thank you that you give us freedom, so much freedom. Lord, we thank you that your goodness is reflected all around us. And although sometimes, Lord, we, we don't reflect your goodness in the way that we perhaps should, Lord, we thank you that you've provided a way for us through Jesus Christ to make that right again. Lord, we're just so thankful in all these different ways. In Jesus' name, we just we thank you, Lord. Amen.